Hello, this is Sekou Burmese, your host of The Lit Review, a podcast brought to you by the Academy of Management Journal. In this podcast, we dive into the insights of recent research published in the journal and interview authors and corporate leaders to discuss the inspiration for research ideas and how insights from this research apply to current pressing issues in organizations and markets. In this episode, I speak with Jeff Bednar, Associate Professor of Management in the BYU Marriott School of Business. In our conversation, we talk about a recent paper he published in AMJ with co-author Jacob Brown about organizational ghosts. In that paper, they explore how leaders continue to influence the behaviors and emotions within an organization long after they are gone. We discuss uh, that fascinating paper, but also have a larger conversation about the role of heroes within organizations, and more specifically, the legacy that these heroes often have. And sometimes this legacy can be challenged. People might remember or re-remember the legacy of a hero differently, or sometimes a hero's legacy may prevent changes in an organization that need to be made in order for survival. So we have this discussion and a larger discussion about uh, organizations and leadership in general. I hope you enjoy this episode of The Lit Review and my discussion with Jeff Bednar. My guest today on The Lit Review podcast is Jeff Bednar, Associate Professor of Management in the BYU Marriott School of Business. Jeff's research focuses on how individuals and collectives construct and maintain their identities and how they respond to various identity challenges. Hello, Jeff, and welcome to the Lit Review Podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. All right. Well, I I brought you on, and uh, thank you for accepting my invite to talk about a really cool paper that uh, you recently published in AMJ with your co-author, Jacob Brown, and it has a great title uh, with all the enticements. So excellent work on on getting the title right. The title is Organizational Ghosts. Uh, how ghostly encounters enable former leaders to influence current organizational members. And uh, the primary question, as I understand it, that's posed in this paper is to understand how leaders become these organizational ghosts. And we'll talk about what that means in a second. Um, But before we get into the paper, I'd like to ask, uh, what got you interested in the general topic of leadership in organizations? Yeah, there's a really interesting article uh, by a guy named Donald Murray, where he talks about how research is autobiographical. Hmm. And I feel like if I look back on my past and I look back into my experiences growing up and in high school and in college, uh, so much of what I'm interested in and studying and trying to understand through research now uh, are things that I experienced when when I was younger. Um, one of my my first papers that I published um, just happened to be in AMJ as well. Um, looked at the identity dynamics that professionals face as they're navigating their training and and their experiences in their profession uh, and dealing with people that don't necessarily understand or appreciate what they do as professionals. And I sometimes joke that that's my that's my master's degree paper because really the idea for that paper was rooted in my experiences as an accounting student, trying to navigate some of the, just the negative stereotypes that are associated with accounting. And this paper in particular, I feel like, uh, I, I joke, this is my Walmart internship paper, because when I was in college, I did an internship. I worked on a finance team at Walmart headquarters in Northwest Arkansas. 
And while I was there, just was very intrigued to see how Sam Walton, who had passed away uh, over a decade before I was an intern there, mm-hmm. still had this really powerful presence there at Walmart headquarters. You know, there, there were just pictures of him everywhere. There were quotes of him everywhere. In meetings, there were references to him. People would, you know, quite literally say, what would Sam do? And how would mm-hmm. Sam have approached this problem? And, mm-hmm. and so it just really got me thinking about this idea of how does someone live on in an organization like that? What causes something like that to happen? And, and what kind of influence does, is this former leader able to have in an organization? So I think uh, a lot of my interest in the topic of leadership generally, and, and this paper specifically, really is rooted in, in my own personal experience and is really my attempts to understand experiences that I've had in, in the past. Yeah, I like to call it the me search yep. angle, right? And we 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 discuss these things. I remember, uh, despite all of my grandiose ideas of what I would study when I was in grad school, I ended up studying professional service firms, yep. and I had worked in a professional service firm before I went to grad school. And I was like, oh, I'm right back where I started. Uh, lo and behold, the thing that I'm most interested in is the things that I have experienced in my life, and so uh, leadership is definitely a topic that. I think a lot of people have individual experiences with, and thus a lot of interest in. And one of the the benefits, I think, of research, like a lot of the research you do, is it helps to demystify a lot of what is thought to be a very mystifying sort of construct, which is leadership and who are leaders and what do leaders do. And so I, I really do appreciate uh, scholarship in this area. Uh, so let's dive into kind of the central phenomenon of your paper, which is organizational ghosts. Can you quickly define what an organizational ghost is and tell us in your view why it's important for understanding leadership? Yeah, so I think in the paper, we defined organizational ghosts, uh, something like an organizational member who used to work for or in the organization who came to be perceived as the embodied prototype of the organization's values and identity. And so, you know, to kind of put that in other terms, you know, this is someone who's a former member of the organization who during their tenure became so revered, became so admired that they became the standard against which other leaders are then compared. And um, they really come to embody the the values and, and the identity of the organization. So that's how we we defined it, the phenomenon in the paper. Yeah. One, one follow up on that: um, Do ghosts have to be? Well, this is going to sound like a creepy. Thing. Do organizational ghosts have to be leaders within the org? Um, it, it sounds like, as you just defined it now, that it could be anybody. But you focus on leadership, and so I was just curious: Do you think it's uh, really constrained? to to that position, the leadership angle? Yeah, uh, great question. I think the literature has often, I think, portrayed that a founder has this opportunity to be revered and remembered in, in these ways. In our particular paper, in the data that we had, the, the two most prominent examples were former CEOs, but neither of them were founders. And so, you know, one of the things that we talked a little bit about in this, this paper is that you don't have to be a founder in order to have this particular uh, type of influence that transcends your death or your departure from the organization. I, I do think 
it doesn't necessarily have to be a leader. I think leadership and especially formal roles uh, of leadership give you greater exposure and visibility to individuals and more people throughout an organization. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't think being a formal leader is is even necessary. And, and I think these dynamics may operate on a smaller scale in maybe a division in an organization, maybe even in a team. You might have a former team member that leaves and they're not widely known throughout the organization. But in that team, they've come to really embody what it means to be a member of that team and, and could have this type yeah. of influence that transcends their death or departure. So I, yeah. I, I think, you know, leadership and formal leadership in, in very visible, prominent positions like being a CEO can certainly enhance the, the spread or the scope of that legacy or that influence after someone leaves. But uh, I don't think it's, it's necessary okay. to, to be a formal leader. So anyone can be an organizational ghost. That's great. I love the inclusive definition of organizational ghost ghostship. Yeah. Um, and also it should be uh, properly uh, identified. These do not have to be people who literally died. Correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And, and this is something that, you know, might be interesting <laughs> to kind of dive into a little bit because we wrestled with what, what do we call this? And, and ghosts, uh, I think communicates the the phenomenon in a in a really interesting important way but we were nervous that people would get hung up on using that label ghosts and and maybe some people would take it very literal uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're not talking about literal ghosts we're, we're talking about you know as as someone moves on just how they're they continue to be perceived and invoked and and not literally live on but uh have an influence in in a culture and, a, and in a collective but uh, we, we did wrestle with with what to call this phenomenon and landed on ghosts because we felt like it was a, a really good metaphor for what we were talking about. No, that's good. I just want to make sure, to be clear, that's, it doesn't have to be dead. But however, I do want to revisit this idea around how death and this idea of organizational ghosts might actually uh, overlap, which it sounds like you, you've been thinking about a little bit as well. All right, so what are the key findings of this paper? What are the key things that you want people to take away from the paper? Well, and I was I was just gonna kind of to back up and and provide a, a little additional context and answer sure. to your previous question. Uh, one of the CEOs that we studied in our paper, he had passed away from a, a really difficult battle with cancer, and so he he had died a number of years before uh, we did this study. Um, but the other CEO is still living, and and so you know death is not something that is is also necessary in order to become an organizational ghost. Uh, we kind of define it as death or departure from, from an organization. All right. So what do you think are the key findings uh, of your paper? Well, I think um, the, the first thing is just adding additional insight into how this process of becoming an organizational ghost happens and how people through their tenure engage in leadership that is extremely effective. They're extremely high on, I think, what the literature would call the performance dimension, the competence dimension. So the the leaders that we found that became ghosts were just viewed as exceptional leaders um, in terms of their competence and performance. Mm -hmm. But they were also highly revered in terms of the, the dimension of warmth and morality. And so they were just really good with people you yep. made people feel valued seen heard cared for um, and so adding a little bit of insight into how that process 
happens uh, sure. in terms of the, the leadership while they're while they're still in the organization. Um, we, we provide a little bit more context into the practices and, and the processes whereby they become embedded in an organization. Mm-hmm. And so in the paper, we talk a little bit about some of the, the very organic and natural ways that this happens without you know any real intention or strategy. Sometimes an individual becomes just naturally associated with a particular person or a particular practice or a particular type of situation or context. And, and is so, that, do you think that's a kind of happenstance, coincidence, you know, just a certain person just becomes highly aligned and highly identified with a certain group? Or do you, sounds like purpose and intent is less um, a driving factor here. Is that is that accurate? Well, I think it's both. Um, I think in some ways in our sample, the two individuals that were the successors to the the CEOs that we studied, they were their sons. And so because of that familial connection, you know, when people would see the sons of these CEOs, they would naturally think of their dads. And so there's, I think, some organic ways that that happens where, you know, someone becomes associated with a particular practice, like a blood drive that we didn't talk about this in our paper, but there was a particular individual in one of the organizations that always headed up the blood drive. Mm-hmm. And so whenever that blood drive occurred, you know, people would kind of reflect back on this, this former member. And, and so I just think there's some very natural ways that that happens, but I also think there's some very strategic intentional ways that organizations create artifacts, they create practices, they create processes in the image or in the name of a particular person. And so mm-hmm. I think it's, it's both this blend of strategic intent, but also there's there's very organic ways that it happens. And then at the end of the paper, we try to highlight and uncover some of the different ways that these individuals um, are invoked, some of the different ways that they continue to, to influence in, in the organization. And uh, one of the things we find is that they're used to hold people accountable for their decision-making to, to really help them feel a sense of ownership and accountability to the, the individual that went before. And mm-hmm. so one of the CEOs, you know, people on his, his executive team would often say things like, oh, your dad, Marty, would be rolling in his grave if he knew what you were about to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that invoking of his father uh, just helped to kind of caution him to temper his risk preference and, and mm-hmm. his temperament as he was making decisions that, that people in the organization viewed as pretty risky or out there. Yeah. Uh, and so they, I think uh, these ghosts can play a role in, in helping to hold people accountable and, and to safeguard the organization from, from risky or, or uh, decisions that would deviate from, from the core values. Okay. Uh, we also found kind of this interesting way that they were invoked to, to devalue uh, another leader or to undermine their leadership and, and the decisions that they were making. We found that uh, people would be compared to these individuals in ways that would kind of devalue the the value system of, of the organization that, that they were in. And things were great when so-and-so was, uh, was the leader here. And yep. now we've fallen a long way. Yeah, exactly. And and then the the last thing we found was just the legitimating role that they play in, you know, providing a stamp of approval for current actions that that the leaders are making. And and so 
just really for us, it was interesting to see all the different ways that these ghosts were continuing to play a role in in the current organization that they were that they used to lead. Was there anything unexpected that you learned while you were doing this research? Um, I would say just the the really amazing thing to me was just to see the influence that these individuals were continuing to have mm-hmm. in, in in some cases more than a decade after they had left, more yep. than a decade after they had passed away. Um, and just to see that in person, um, I often would uh, just describe to people doing some of the interviews that we did. And I, I found out after a few interviews that I needed to bring Kleenexes with me uh-huh. um, because I'd have to push Kleenexes across the table wow. as these people I was interviewing were talking about these former leaders Yep. And, uh, you know, just weeping in some cases about the impact that they had had on their lives and yep. just the deeply personal stories that they would tell about these these leaders and and some of the ways they'd helped them even in their personal life. We there, there was one individual I remember who had uh, he, he just described how at one point in his in his tenure working at this organization, he was an alcoholic mm. and uh, this this former CEO pulled him aside and he just said, you know, I could kind of fire you. I could give up on you, but uh, I want to help you. Mm-hmm. And he helped him uh, get into rehab and and kind of uh, get sober. And and as he described, you know, being sober now, I think it was you know almost twenty years later since that that interaction. Just the emotion and and the depth of gratitude that they felt for for these leaders was was just really profound. So I think I was shocked by just the influence that these leaders had uh, on the lives of these individuals and, and the emotion with which they would speak about them you know, many, many years later. Just a, a testament yeah. to the, the power of, of positive leadership and the impact that people can have when they realize, you know, we, we, we influence people's lives in really profound ways in the workplace. So speaking of which, I found a really interesting aspect of this paper around organizational ghosts, or how I will refer to them from now on as OGs, which are, you noted that they can sometimes impact employees through imagined encounters, right? So these are encounters that they're talking about that didn't really happen. Now, you know, the cynic in me and the New Yorker in me is like, wow, okay, we're imagining encounters? Like this person might have been great, but now this seems to be leading towards, you know, tall tales and and these apocryphal stories that we'll sometimes hear. And, you know, do you believe that this is good? Do you think there's some some problematic aspects uh, to this, you know, having these imagined uh, encounters? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think it's a really interesting and, and important question. Because I think to your question about, you know, what surprised us, I think this idea of imagined encounters was not something that we went into the the study ever expecting to to find but we you know i remember one man in particular he he talked about how when he is on the production line in in these organizations that he would think about how this former ceo would want him to be working mm-hmm. and you know just imagined you know if he were here kind of overseeing me if he were here kind of leading this organization how would he want me to to do this and and so when we talk about imagined interactions that's that's kind of one example of of what we're talking about just in the current context really 
trying to imagine what the other person would do, what they would say, mm-hmm. what they would think, what they would feel in that particular context. Okay. But to your point, because they're not in the context and because this is imagined, you know, they may get it wrong. They may exaggerate who they were, or what they did, or what they might do. Um, and so it certainly is is open to being inaccurate. It's open to uh, reinterpretation. And so I think as these uh, organizational ghosts continue, I think they can be changed and and used for different strategic purposes. There's some really interesting work by, I think it's Barry Schwartz, and and he studied the legacies of figures like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and and how their memories have been invoked and and changed over time to to support and sustain different perspectives and ideologies. Yep. So uh, yep. I, I definitely think that the fact that they're not in the context and we're relying on these imagined interactions to kind of sustain their influence certainly leaves it open to uh, their memories being changed and invoked for hopefully good things, but uh, yep. certainly could be used to manipulate or, or do things that are not good. Yeah, and, and I think that that leads you know to kind of a larger kind of question that I think your your paper is is squarely kind of uh, uh, pushing in regards to like just a kind of understanding and maybe thinking through some of the implications of of these OGs, these organizational ghosts, and it's thinking about um, the role of legacy, right? Mm-hmm. So as I was reading your paper, I was thinking a lot about okay, this these ghosts seem like they are the enactment of the legacy that a very influential leader will have. So um, my sister-in-law graduated from University of Virginia and it was the first, she was the first person that I knew personally that was getting their PhD. And so I you know, went to this thing and I was like walking around Virginia. And if you've ever, have you ever taken a tour of the University of Virginia? I've never been to, to UVA. So one of the first things you'll note is there's an adherence to how Jefferson would have wanted it. Yep. And that is over and over. You hear it's over and over again, even how it's called and everything like that. And so it was probably, as I was reading your paper, my first idea around, oh, this is this is an organizational ghost. Like Jefferson is a huge organizational ghost uh, uh, for the University of Virginia. However, you think about the legacy of someone like Thomas Jefferson, right? At one point, it was one way, and as more information gets uncovered about him, that that legacy, right, uh, what that person represented, can shift or at least be contested. And yeah. so, uh, what do you what are your thoughts on thinking about these these ghosts and how, you know, sometimes that legacy will be challenged, and also, you know, to what extent is the legacy maybe in conflict with attempts to transform the organization? So and so would be rolling in their grave if they saw what we were doing even if what we're trying to do might actually be the best thing, right? And so yeah. how, how do you think uh, about that dynamic, you know, broadly uh, within organizations today? Well, uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the context of this paper because I think it speaks to that a little bit and then kind of zoom out and, and maybe talk about it on a more macro level. But, you know, in this paper, the two organizations I studied are now out of business. They no longer exist. And when I was studying them, they were undergoing a merger um, in order to try to survive the the industry that they operated in, it's the book manufacturing industry. So they mm-hmm. they were printers mm-hmm. and um, printing with eBooks and you know some of the technological advancements yeah. uh, became an industry that was very hard to survive in. And so 
Um, it's interesting to look at the merger itself as, as maybe, I, I don't know that it was caused by this former CEO's leadership that was so revered, but he was, he was highly concerned about creating a really beautiful, wonderful workplace. He was concerned way more about people than profits. Mm -hmm. Um, but in an industry that is really difficult to survive in, ultimately they weren't able to survive on their own. And so they had to merge and, and then, you know, several years later, both, both of them went out of business. And again, I'm not, I'm, it's complicated. There's all kinds of reasons why they, they went out of business, but I, I do think, you know, this really strong attachment to the past can certainly make it more difficult for an organization to change. I um, in in doing the research for this paper came across just some some writings and some some literature about practices in in much older civilizations like in ancient Rome and ancient Greece where you know when when a new leader would take over they would engage in these practices of defacing monuments they would engage in practices of lopping heads off of statues, you know, sure. uh, yeah. the, the likeness and the image of former leaders to signal to the the kingdom or the the tribe or whatever it was that they had conquered, like mm-hmm. that regime is over and you are now under a new regime. Yeah. And so I, I think it just raises just really fascinating questions about how leaders, as they navigate these pivotal transition moments, what do you do with history? What do you do with the past? Do you create coherence? Mm-hmm. Um, and try to honor and sustain and, and keep the legacy or keep these ghosts alive. Yep. Or in some cases, is it necessary to help them slowly or quickly exit um, and uh, create a new, new, uh, a new set of ideas and ideals and, and memories yep. um, that are going to support the direction that you're trying to take the organization in? So I just think, I don't know that there's one right way to handle that. Um, but I do think it's it's something that leaders really have to be conscious of and savvy in thinking yeah. through uh, as as we're engaging in change in an organization. What are we going to do with history? How is that going to play a role in this change process? Because I think, uh, as I mentioned, people get very, very attached to former leaders and to former yeah. practices. The organizations mean something to people. And, and so when you change them, you just have to be very conscious of, of these past and historical dynamics. It's, it's a real leadership challenge. So um, Alice's last uh, last question, you can see I'm, I'm trying to uh, think about, you know, if I put myself in the, the shoes of someone that's taking over an organization, there are all these ghosts around. How do I bust these ghosts, right? I ain't scared of no ghosts. How do I, how do I get rid of them? And so in your opinion, let's say you um, are talking to someone that is the leader of an organization and notices that there is this very strong presence of a past leader, but you want to move in a different direction. Would you provide or is your research or anything that you've uncovered maybe provide some ways that are the best way to do that without, you know, turning people off or, you know, losing people and those sorts of things? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on your goal uh, in terms of, I think it was, was it Denise Rousseau who talked about changing the organization while keeping the people? You know, if your goal is to kind of hang on to your current people, uh, I think you have to try to find ways to integrate where you're going with who you've been in the past mm-hmm. and uh, integrate where you're going with the the ghost uh, uh, that maybe is, is kind of um, operating in the background. 
if your goal is to, if you're okay with turnover and you're okay with people becoming, you know, I don't know if hurt or offended is the right word, but you know, yeah. it's going to be painful to change some of these things. If you're okay with that, then I think taking some of these more aggressive practices where you try to quickly move on, uh, get rid of people, get rid of practices, get rid of artifacts that are tied to this individual. That's certainly one approach, but it's, it's going to be a little bit more painful and, and yeah. challenging and, and you might, uh, might lose more people that way. Yeah. We had kind of an interesting example, the, uh, the former football coach at BYU, his name's Bronco Mendenhall. Mm -hmm. uh, just recently he was the coach at Virginia and then recently took a job at New Mexico. And uh, anyway, it's been really interesting to see over the course of his career, how he's been very savvy, I think, in, in navigating some of these dynamics. And when, when he took over the BYU football program, it was on a performance dimension was, was not doing well, but there were also some, some real challenges within the program. And, and so there's accounts um, of him taking the, the football team up into one of the, the canyons uh, in the mountains here, starting mm -hmm. a big bonfire and having people write down all their complaints about kind of the state of the program and then, you know, reading them aloud and then tossing them into the fire and, and taking a helmet that had kind of the old logo that they used um, while they were under the, the previous head coach and, and tossing one of these helmets <laughs> into the fire to symbolically it's say very like, Roman. Very yeah, Roman. Like, like this is <laughs> this is a new time. This is a new situation. And and interestingly, you know, the 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 really legendary BYU football coach, his name is Lavelle Edwards, you know, one of the most successful coaches here and in all of college football history. He really tried to, you know, tie back to Lavelle Edwards and his legacy and, and kind of mm. signal that that we're going back to who we were uh when when Lavelle was the head coach. And and so yeah. I just think an interesting case study in, in how to navigate history and and navigate uh, some of the the sticky dynamics as you're trying to change an organization and move in a different direction. So, how's the BYU football team doing? Well, last year was uh, our first Big Twelve schedule. Oh, and, well, uh, yeah. We, There's some so confounding uh, we're, we're variables here. Okay. We're adjusting. We're we're <laughs> we're, uh, we're we're integrating and and hopefully uh, we'll be able to Better make that down. transition. Yeah. You better get down to Texas, get you some football players, some ball players. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, as you were saying that, uh, it reminded me, of course, of, of an example here at UNC, which is we have Dean Smith, right? And so Dean Smith is a huge looming figure on the program. But what has been interesting to me is I got here just as a transition from Roy Williams um, to uh, Hubert Davis is that Roy Williams also is a, is a big name here. And you want to talk about ghosts and looming, Roy Williams attends almost all of the home basketball games still. Yeah. He's got a little seat and he sits there and he's literally looming over kind of what's going on. And so, you know, I, I don't envy Coach Davis's attempts to do that because he's trying to change the program while literally having the predecessor there engaged in the program. So yeah. definitely well, something that I think uh, a lot of uh, in sports context, we see a ton, but I think we're seeing it a lot in organizations as well. Well, you know, there's the the common wisdom that you never want to be the person that follows the legend. And I think that bears out empirically that, you know, uh, it's it's very hard to to follow uh, someone that's been a legend. And I think there's lots of reasons for that. Again, I think it's complicated, but I do think that one of the reasons why it's really hard 
to follow a legend is because of some of these dynamics that we've been talking about that are operating in the background and and people just become very very attached to former leaders and the way that they did things and and so yeah. if you follow someone like that it's really difficult to to navigate those changes yeah or maybe you make it to the uh, NCA finals the first year after replacing a legend, you know, maybe, maybe it's just easy peasy. It can happen. Know. It can maybe happen. Coach Davis just got it. He's figured it out. He might be a good co-author. You should, you should reach out to him. That's right. All right. Uh, I want to finish on uh, these last two questions, which I'd like to ask to all the guests. So much of what we study in our field is driven by phenomena that we observe, but maybe have some questions, maybe fail to fully understand that, that me search or, you know, that we were talking about. So are there any, events or behaviors or trends right now happening that have really piqued your curiosity? Well, I think doing this study about organizational ghosts, while our country has been wrestling with, grappling with some of the things that you described earlier, you know, the the legacy of Thomas Jefferson and other former leaders and, mm-hmm. and figuring out how to handle and reckon with some of those contested and difficult aspects of our country's past, I think, has been fascinating. Uh, you know, looking at some of the current uh, events going on with university presidents and responding to the conflict in in the Middle East and, mm-hmm. and how how that's playing out. I just think being a leader right now is incredibly demanding. Mm. Um, there's so many different complicated stakeholders and. I just think, especially trying to be a leader that creates unity and creates any type of consensus, it's it's really challenging right now. So I, I think the things that uh, I'm most fascinated by uh, are just looking at how leaders are navigating some of these really challenging, complicated, and, and sticky issues and, and trying to learn how do we become more effective at creating you know communities, uh, institutions, organizations, where people feel valued, people feel included, and uh, that's not easy. So, no, absolutely. Well, uh, I, I look forward to reading uh, a lot of the research uh, that you have around uh, these topics and more. And I'd say, stay, you're going to get a lot of inspiration uh, just by uh, reading and seeing what's going on in the world regarding leadership. Yeah. Uh, are you reading anything for fun right now? What do you read for fun? Yeah, I'm not currently reading anything very exciting for fun, but mm-hmm. uh, not not too long ago, our, our family um, we we listened to Boys in the Boat, and mm-hmm. uh, and then got to go see the movie that just came out not too long ago, and so that that was fun to be able to read about that story and and read about kind of the the uh, underdog uh, hero's journey. And what is uh, this book about? Boys in the Boat. It's it's about a um, a rowing team at the University of Washington, hmm, and okay. uh, anyway, they they compete um, against some of the bigger, more prestigious, well funded schools, and gotcha. and ultimately end up making it to the Olympics, and and uh, you know against all odds, you know in front of Hitler and the Nazi regime uh, during the Munich Olympics, I think it was in the 1930s, they're able to take home the gold medal for the United States. And, hmm. and anyway, so it's, it's just kind of this really inspiring story of, yeah. of overcoming the odds and overachieving and doing incredible things. So I love it. That's great. Boys in a boat. I'll have to, uh, to check for that university of Washington. All right. Okay. 
maybe I should have said spoiler alert. So, <laughs> well, I think if it's a historical book, so I think uh, right. <laughs> people probably knew how it would end. They could Google it pretty quickly. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. Appreciate you uh, making the time to speak to me about this uh, this very uh, cool paper. I want to encourage all the listeners to 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 read it. Also, there have been a couple of really interesting write ups on this paper that I can also. Uh, suggest that people check up, including one that I think uh, your university put together that gives a nice synopsis, as well as an AOM insights that we wrote. Uh, when when you put ghosts in the title, it's going to attract uh, a lot of attention. And so much continued luck uh, on your research, and I hope to catch up with you soon. Okay, thanks. All right, that's it for the Lit Review. I appreciate Jeff for his time, and I appreciate you all for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the Lit Review podcast. You can find us by searching for The Lit Review, an AMJ podcast on iTunes or Spotify or any other podcast platforms, as well as on the AMJ homepage. We greatly appreciate you sending and referring new people to check out the episodes as well. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter. We have a weekly Twitter Spaces show called AMJ Radio Live, hosted at AOM Connect. Uh, Check that out as well. Thanks to the Academy of Management for all of their support for this podcast. Special thanks to my producer, Holly Fearing, for all of her work behind the scenes. Our theme music is produced by Key to Life. This is Sekou Burmese. See you next time. Take care and be good. Key to Life.